Good evening, and welcome to the beautiful, historical Marionette Theater. We're going to regale you with a trip down memory lane to the 80s. Please take your seats. The show will be beginning shortly, as soon as our showgirl arrives with our drinky poos, I think. Yeah, 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 whatever. Oh, good evening, Mr. Smelly. It's so Hi. nice to see you. Yeah. Oh, uh, hey, 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 hey. Before you get going, I just want to say I could have been a model. You know what I'm saying? Like for the animators, because this is a cartoon tonight, because I'm pretty hip to everything that's going on. Hi. And uh, uh, tonight's an animation, and they could have used me as a model for one of the athletes. I'm just telling you right now. Is, Does anybody care? Oh, sure. We, uh, right, DJ? We care. Uh, said, uh, yeah. In, in Gertie, wow. Gertie, is there any truth to that rumor that you used to use that pickup line that Jack did in Titanic to draw you like one of his French girls? <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes. I used that long before he did. Listen, anyways... <laughs> Get on with it. I don't care. Okay. Am I supposed to do the stupid intro now? Yes. And, uh, you know, thanks for the fresh doily for my cocktail glass here. Uh, we don't yeah. we don't want to um, mark up the, the fine furniture here in the marionette. Yeah, yeah. Okay, doily you and doily him. <laughs> Anyways, I'll go down and do the stupid intro. Okay, bye. All right. Watch your tootsies there. All right. Bye. Uh, okay, here she goes. Nearly 3,000 years ago in ancient Greece, persons with athletic ability gathered in the spirit of camaraderie and sportsmanship. Now just imagine a world where animals more closely resemble humans. You know, walking, talking, developing table manners. (laughs) Some of our world leaders could learn a thing or two. Anyways... Put these evolved animals in a similar setting, and you have the basis of tonight's film. Grab a pair of those old-fashioned high-running shorts. Sexy. And some kibble. It's time for Animalympics, starring the voices of Gilda Radner and Billy Crystal. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies. And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Righty tighty. You know, Toppy, we're just a week away from changing our clocks again. Can you believe it? Oh my it? God, already? Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'd say something about the weather, but I think I jinxed myself the last time we talked because uh, we got a few inches dumped on us and, and, and then the bully on the anthill got out the magnifying glass again. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, I do hear tell that we are supposed to be getting um, more than double freezing digits, uh, meaning the sun is actually coming out this weekend, 
and in a couple of weeks, it's supposed to be the first day of spring. And you know uh, what the spring brings? It brings St. Patrick's Day and Easter. Now, do, do, do you enjoy the shamrock shakes? Well, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I've never had an actual, honest to God, shamrock shake. I guess it's McDonald's. But I'm, I guess it's like a Mc, you know, it's like a, what is it's like peppermint or something. Is that it? Yes. It's, a, you know, it's green. So you'd think it's wintergreen, but it's more like peppermint. And, um, you know, I, I've had better at home. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, and the other question that brings to mind is Easter. Are you a fan of the deviled eggs? Oh, I love deviled eggs. Oh, yeah? See? Oh, yeah, yeah. My my favorite recipe for deviled eggs includes Worcestershire. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and I did did say Worcestershire because I dated a New Englander. That's how you pronounce it. There you go. Worcestershire. I just call it Worcestershire. Anyways, uh, no, love the deviled eggs. Oh, oh. So this is a program from the early '80s that we're going to be discussing oh, yeah. tonight. This takes me back, Toppy. Now I know you were ahead of the class, uh, you know, in the days of school. A little bit. Uh, me and, uh, but, uh, you know, this brings back memories of the corded cable boxes. Oh, God. <laughs> with the buttons and the, the lever and the, the printed guide that you used to insert so you knew basically how to do your sink your battleship lineup with the coordinates to get the, um, you know, the different channels. <laughs> right. Because uh, we're talking way back in the 80s, and uh, I guess this thing, this little cartoon that was shown was most prominently uh, shown on HBO. That's what you're talking about. Yes, sir. The home box office. And, um, you know, this was originally a feature that was supposed to air on NBC, um, kind of uh, a companion to the the Olympics footage that was being aired at that time. But, of course, um, as we all know, our our folks behind the Iron Curtain there, they weren't playing nice with their neighbors and they invaded a country. I'm having deja vu. Uh, Yeah, like, oh, gee. Uh, anyway, so we, uh, President Carter said, uh, we're not going to the Olympics this year. NBC canceled on the coverage, of course, and then they sold this little gem to the, um, the new folks that, uh, just launched a few years before at the home box office. So, um, for those of you who may yeah. not be, um, you know, why, uh, um, have enough years to have remembered. I'm going to treat you with a flashback Uh-oh. of Here the, we go. the HBO original Oprah. So, though, uh, I'm going to talk you through this. Um, oh, okay. So somebody, somebody find the uh, the clip and put a link in the chat room for us here. So, the um, home box office started in 1972 in Manhattan, New York City. And, um, you know, it took them a while to get going because you got to get all those licenses and distribution rights. And uh, this little uh, intro for their programs was created and uh, it featured a miniature of a, of a cityscape. And of course, that uh, eventually ended up 
in the, the stratosphere in the sky when there's a big explosion like a mothership entering the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, yeah, here we go, baby. Play it loud. And uh, you you just enter into the mothership that's the HBO logo, and it dissolves like you've been beamed aboard, and you're sitting inside the viewing room like you're right here at the Marionette Theater. ba 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 da ba <laughs> and, uh, you know, for those of you who've been around a while in the podcasting world, that was also used as the background for Wanda Wisdom's random mini disco dance party. Oh, stop it. Stop <laughs> it right now. Nobody's, nobody's going to know what you're talking about. Ah! <laughs> Wanda Wisdom. Oh, my God. Listen, folks, this movie, whew, way back in the 1980s, DJ, let's set the world up. Uh, tell us what was going on way back then. Okay, so world history in 1980. Ooh. Comic strip The Far Side now. debuted in newspapers. And as I mentioned, President Carter, he approved a $1.5 billion bailout of Chrysler. Well, it happened later again. Uh, the U.S. <laughs> defeated the Soviet Union in hockey Yay! in the 13th oh, Winter Olympics. Yep. <laughs> there was some high sticking then. Yep. Uh, President Carter also announced that we would boycott the Summer Olympics. <sighs> and we should have boycotted the last. Oh, I'm sorry. We should have <laughs> boycotted the last Olympics yeah, in China. And anyways, whatever. Um, F it all. Uh, apparently, uh, China gave them some advice to say, wait until our party whatever. is done. But um, anyways, continuing on in 1980, Voyager 1 confirmed the Yay. existence of the Saturn moon Janus. Ooh. Not Janus Rand. Um, U.S. severs diplomatic relations with Iran. Oops. The Pennsylvania lottery was rigged by six men, including the host of the drawing. He was in on it. Oh, dear. And the inmate with the longest serving prison sentence is released. After serving 68 years, they committed their crime in 1911. Uh, whoopsie. There's, There's probably DNA evidence. That's how it usually works out anyways. Truly. So we only have a few more things here. Department of Education began operation. Empire Strikes, Strikes Back was released. Pac-Man. Yeah. That was the best one, DJ. Mm -hmm. The best one. I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't care who says what. Empire Strikes Back was the best Star Wars. Anyways. And here's a game that Toppy's still playing. Pac-Man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was the best-selling arcade game of all time, released in no. 1980, Senator Ted Kennedy. He won several state primaries but failed to get the Democratic nomination for president. <laughs> Maybe we wouldn't have had Reagan, huh? Yeah. Former California Governor Ronnie Reagan won the Republican Party nomination. <laughs> Whoopee! Robert Redford, hubba hubba, made his directorial debut in a film that we discussed just this past fall, Ordinary yeah. People, with Mary yeah, Tyler Moore. Yeah, check it out, folks. And last but certainly not least, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera debuted in London's West End, and we also talked Yay. about the movie version of that. Yeah, we did. That's right. Well, look, uh, folks, there were some celebrity boys 
Uh, DJ always tries to find uh, people that I can't pronounce the name of, <laughs> or uh, I don't know anything about them. Let's start off with the. <laughs> yeah. Let's start off with Zoe Cheshnell. Oh my Did goodness, you got it! Oh my god, uh, she's an actress, musician, uh, new girl, an elf with Will Ferrell. Uh, then there's, okay, here we go, Christine Ritchie. <laughs> oh, I did it. Actress, Adam's Family, and Mermaids. Uh, and Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin, uh, actor in Home Alone and Party Monster. Uh, then there's, a, uh, I can't believe this. <laughs> Chris Pine was born in 1980. Give me a f- I'm, I'm sorry. Give me an <laughs> effing break. <sighs> Anyways, he was in Star Trek 09 and Wonder Woman as Steve Trevor. Jeez, all right. TJ, before I get too discouraged, mm-hmm. uh, there was competition for Animal Olympics. It was going on back then. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. Alrighty, so Animal Olympics, as I mentioned, it was originally made for NBC, but then it got sold to HBO when it was decided it couldn't be aired because there was no Olympics coverage then. Um, Let's see now, um, in 1980, HBO was already producing their original documentary series. So everybody knows that HBO showed the movies that were out at theaters you know, before uh, you would go out to the rental store and uh, bring it home, you could watch it on HBO. Of course, it cost a little bit of money. I think um, in today's money, it was something like 30 or $40 a month. But back in 1980s money, it was like under $10. But anyways, uh, HBO was already making their own original documentaries in 1980, but they wouldn't make their first full feature film until 83. And this was a film called The Terry Fox Story, which interestingly started a Hollywood actor, Robert Duvall. And it was the true story about the Canadian cancer amputee hero who decided to run across Canada on only one leg oh. to raise money for cancer research. Oh, all right. So, so uh, what, what, what else about HBO? Okay, so the home box office, the oldest and longest continuously operating subscription television service, so you had to pay a little extra to get oh, it. Oh, my God. Do you mean to tell me it's like, 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 I got to pay Hulu and I got to pay Disney Plus, and I gotta, I gotta pay Netflix all these little, you know, six, nine, ten dollars. Is that like that? Oh my goodness! Well, you know, were they the first? <laughs> you know, some could say that with all the services we have now, you're basically paying as much as you would for cable if you yeah. have them all. But um, yeah, it was one of the first of its kind, wow. and you paid a little extra. Now, Toppy, this will this will date us. Uh-oh. Uh oh. You think about what made HBO special could you mm. get hbo if you just plugged your tv into the cable toppy do you remember that well kind of sort of you you had to pay extra to get it you did yeah so you had to have something special to be able to watch it. Yeah, the box. You had to have a box. So it was like you're a member of a club. In order for you to watch HBO, the cable company had to give you a box. Because back in those days, it was like decoding the secret message from behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah. You had to have a decoder, a scrambler. And sometimes they even put a device 
on the cable line outside your house. They called it a trap. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> By the way, I just want to point out, DJ, because it's kind of funny. Uh, the chat room is obsessed right now with the Beastmaster, which was repeated on HBO a million kabillion times. And everybody, and anyways, it's Mark Singer there. Oh, is that who it is? Mark Singer? Am I got that right? I think he so. Was, yeah. Okay. Well, he was the uh, the lad uh, that portrayed. Anyways, there's some photos in there. And, uh, it's, you know, like Tommy Hash Brown says, it's time for a tongue bath. But anyways, <laughs> continue. I do down. believe that Mark Singer was also in V that we discussed last year. <laughs> he was, he was. So, um, anyway, so... Uh, HBO, oldest and longest subscription television service. Now, it pioneered modern-day television on its launch in uh, November of 72. It was the first Jesus. television service to be directly transmitted and distributed to individual cable systems. And it was the conceptual blueprint for the premium channel. Pay television services sold to subscribers for an extra monthly fee. And they don't accept traditional advertising. So you're not going to see, you know, Joe Bob's used cars advertising on right, HBO. Right. But uh, also what made them special is they had their own original programming that wasn't censored. It didn't have to be edited. If you wanted something a little naughty, a little blue, as our friends Ooh. across the pond might call it, you'd watch HBO. And it eventually became the first television channel in the world to begin transmitting via satellite. Ted Turner was very happy. <laughs> <laughs> so HBO goes a long way back, and it's a it's a really changing part of uh, the history of television and cable versus. Uh, traditional broadcasts. So it's very fascinating. So we're, I'm going to talk about um, t uh, DJ, uh, the director of our little film tonight. And that's Stephen Lisberger or Lisberger. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, uh, but we'll just call him Lisberger because I like that. Uh, anyways, he's an American film director, producer, and writer who was later very famous for directing Tron for Disney in mm. 1982. That was two years after Animal Olympics. Uh, Lisberger was born in 1951 in New York City and grew up in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. He attended the Hill School in Pottstown and University. He went on to become a 1974 graduate of the School of Museum of Fine Arts in Boston in Massachusetts. And while attending Tufts University, Lisberger and five associates formed Lisberger Studios. Their first project was Cosmic Cartoon. And that earned a Student Academy Award nomination way back in 73. It was also featured in the internationally released anthology film, Fantastic Animation Festival in 77. Many people saw it there for the first time. And through his company, Lisberger Studios, Lisberger directed the production of commercials. This is how they made the living, folks. Uh, 
directed the production of commercials, animated title sequences for many and various programs. And in Animal Olympics, I will point out that uh, that the title sequences that were interspersed throughout Animal Olympics uh, that were animated are typical of what he did back then. Uh, he did animated title sequences. You'll see them all throughout Animal Olympics. So Animal Olympics, all right, conceived in 76 to be a parody of the hype surrounding the Olympic Games. Liz Berger first made a seven-minute short film uh, with a $10,000 budget grant from the American Film Institute. That was like, okay, cool. And uh, then he decided he could expand the idea with backing from NBC. And then he eventually obtained a seven-figure budget mm. for uh, for uh, doing uh, the movie. And he moved his studio from Boston to California. And Lisberger and NBC produced the aforementioned two 30-minute parts Animal Olympics. So uh, afterwards... I'll tell you what really Lisberger was known for. And, he, okay, following Animal Olympics, he did a lot of things that didn't exactly, they weren't, they never, be, they never became well-known. But the one thing he was linked to forever was Tron. And over the years, uh, Lisberger tried to get Disney interested in a sequel to Tron. And then uh, he eventually somehow convinced Disney to develop a Tron sequel. Uh, but it just languished, you know, how uh, many Hollywood productions just languish in, in development hell for years, which is what this did. But eventually, well, uh, Lisberger got Disney to green light Tron Legacy, and it was released in 2010. Uh, and uh, Lisberger was the producer. Uh, it was a success in the box office, and it was followed by a television series, Tron Uprising. DJ, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Tron Legacy, and do you remember anything about a television series? I don't remember there being a television series, but I do know about Tron Legacy. In fact, okay. you might, you probably wouldn't be surprised to know that I might have a copy. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, but it was a very, very beautifully done movie. And uh, of course, they had to cast some eye candy in it. I, I, I want to say that it could be Bradley Cooper. That's in this film. Um, let okay. me see real quick. I'm going to look at the wires and tubes here. And uh, it's called Tron Legacy. Uh, okay. By, while you're doing that, I just uh -huh. want to congratulate the chat room for doing a series of postings uh, that evolved 
Um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as um, Conan and eventually evolving into Sean Connery as uh, I I don't know what he was. He was a space. It was a real Oh, Zardoz. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You have to be there in the chair. <laughs> Zardoz, thank you. And anyways, it's very humorous. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> it looks like an ad for a fetish store. <laughs> well, kind of. Uh, those waist-high boots, um, Connery. Anyways, uh, you know what? We're destined to do that movie oh i Uh, think so i mean any dark alley we could go down (laughs) i mean honestly i don't know why it's escaped us thus far but anyway i think that the dark alleys have the best popcorn (laughs) well kind (laughs) of oh so i was uh i was perhaps wrong um tron legacy i had of course jeff bridges from the original but it also yeah. had soap opera star and, um, yes, more sci-fi folks. Bruce Boxleitner, who was on Babylon 5, was in the 2010 Tron Legacy film, as well as James Frain, who was in the sci-fi series Orphan Black and um, Star Trek Discovery as um, young Sarek. Now, so. I think Bruce Boxleitner um, and Jeff Bridges were in the original Tron. You know, I don't. I well. I think you're probably right. I I know that Bruce Boxleitner uh, was married to. I want to say Melissa Gilbert of um, you know Little House fame for a while. All right, all right. And, I, I thought you were going to say somebody in Star Trek because we always bring it back to Star Trek. But well, anyway. I already got my double mention in there. That's right. <laughs> well, you know what, DJ? Um, yeah. yeah. Is it time for the uh, half hour thing? I or, think uh, so. We can go Yeah, ahead. let's do that. Uh, we got some music for you this time, folks. Yeah, we're going to step on over here to our concession stand where Madame Gertie is um, just whipping up some treats in the celebration yeah. of the 80s. Uh, yeah. Marshmallow treats it. and uh, Pop Rocks. Uh. <laughs> DJ. Pop rocks, mm-hmm. exactly. All right, go ahead. So this is a a um, a song from the soundtrack to Animal Olympics, which actually had a very limited release. It's sort of collectible, but if you look in the right places, YouTube, you could find some bits and pieces. So this is about three minutes of the opening song uh, in the spirit of the Olympics. Go for it. Yeah, and also DJ, I just want to say uh, uh, the score uh, for this cartoon i think was one of the biggest things going for it so listen in Ooh, get down hey, what was disco in this tuning in 
on YouTube, you can see me chair dancing. I'm getting whiplash. Friends will try to put you down. Go for it. Go for it. When you don't want to go to town. Go for it. Go for it. But if you want to sing this song. Go for it. Go for it. You got to work out all night long. You got to go for it against the opposition. Go for it if you want to win the race. Go for it. It's really your decision. Go for it. You got to set the pace. Now you can choose the lazy way. Go for it. You got to go for it. You can boogie all night and sleep all day. Go for it. You got to go for it. But the best in life don't come free. Go for it. You got to go for it. So let the work be your philosophy. You got to go for it against the opposition. Go for it. You want to win the race. Go for it. That's really your decision. Go for it. You got to set the pace. For inspiration, we all need a mama and a papa. was amazing yes we got on our boogie shoes and our bell bottoms and then we just said no because it was the 80s <laughs> <laughs> well dj we should talk about the voices that did some of the characters why don't you start with gilda radner all righty so miss rosanna dana gilda radner she was the voice of barbara wobbler of course, which is a uh, take on her famous Saturday Night Live character, Barbara Wawa. But uh, she was a, a character in Animal Olympics who was a bird sportscaster. I think she might have been like a flamingo or something. I don't think she was an ostrich, but um, anyways. I don't know. I think she may have been an ostrich, DJ. Uh, okay. I do. I, yeah, that's right. She did hide her head a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so Gilda Radner was born in Detroit Motor City. And uh, began acting on television in the early 70s as a child, actually. Um, and uh, Animal Olympics was Radner's second animated project. So, you know, you might have thought, wow, I didn't know that she did uh, ant cartoons. But uh, she did do something before Animal Olympics. And it's actually one of my guilty pleasures of childhood. Um, I don't remember if it aired on HBO or if it was on Canadian television. Because back in those days... We used to get stuff from across the border in the Western New Yorks, 
And uh, this was a program called Witch's Night Out. I try to watch it every Halloween because it has the voice of not only Gilda Radner, but Catherine O'Hara, who, of course, was the star of the more recent Schitt's Creek TV series. Um, It was um, basically about some uh, people who decided to hold a party in this old abandoned house and come to find out the witch had haunted it, and she granted people's wishes, making them the monsters they were dressed up to be. So this was an animated feature, Witch's Night Out in 78. Now, in 1980, Radner starred in her first live-action film, which was called First Family. I'm actually curious to see this because it only not only has the legendary Madeline Kahn, of course, from Clue, you'll remember her. The f- it flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths. And uh, Bob Newhart and Carol Burnett famed Mr. Harvey Corman in First Family. Mm. Now, after leaving Saturday Night Live in 1980, because a few people did, uh, she would star in four films in the next five years, including a film in 82 that was directed by Sidney Poitier, Hanky Panky. She also starred in 84 in a film with Gene Wilder, The Woman in Red, which, of course, brought us Kelly LeBrock, who was also in Weird Science, one of my favorites from the 80s. And um, let's see, uh, one of her later films, an 85 film with Walter Matthau, Movers and Shakers. And this is where she would actually first meet her future husband, Gene Wilder. Oh. Now, her final film was in 86 with her husband, Gene Wilder, and, of course, Dom DeLuise. You can't watch an 80s movie and have it be comedy without Dom DeLuise. Uh, this was Haunted Honeymoon. And uh, she Mm -hmm. famously suffered from, or sorry, uh, around this time, she very famously suffered for 10 months, people, almost a year of malpractice because uh, she was experiencing pains in her legs and she didn't know where it was coming from. And because she was a celebrity, she got all sorts of bad advice. Took her 10 months before she was finally diagnosed with ovarian cancer by then, it had advanced to the point where they they couldn't barely contain it. Mm. And Radner had been only married to Gene Wilder for five short years before her passing at the age of 42 in 89. Now, quick side note, uh, Wilder, of course, survived her by many years and remarried, but he did run a organization that hosted um, women that were battling cancer, and I believe it was called Gilda's Place. Um, there were actually several locations throughout the country, including one in western New York and Rochester. Hey, awesome. Let's talk about Billy Crystal. He did, was the, uh, he did the voices uh, of the other major characters in the movie. Billy Crystal was born in 48. He's an American actor, comedian, director, producer, and writer. You know him well. He gained prominence in the 70s and 80s for television roles such as Jody Dallas on the ABC sitcom Soap, which I think he 
kind of famously played a gay character, didn't he? He did. One of the first openly gay characters on television, I believe. Yeah. Uh, he was also a cast member and frequent host of Saturday Night Live back then. And then, well, Crystal sort of booted up and became a film star during the late 80s and 90s. Uh, you would have seen him in critical and box office successes such as, well, hear my notes say rabbit test in 78. But I'm, I'm sorry. I don't think rabbit test was a box office success. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure it was a critical success. It was simply an early role for Billy Crystal. Anyways, he went on to do an 86 running scared. He went on to do The Princess Bride, a small role in heavy makeup in 87. He did Throw Mama from the Train, also in 87. He did Memories of Me in 88. <clears throat> I think this is where he kind of broke through, really. When Harry met Sally in '89. Oh yeah. With, also, with, huh? with Meg Ryan. Yeah, I, I think that was a big breakout, and and right after that, in '91, he was in Seti Slickers. I think that was another big breakout. He did Mister Saturday Night in '92. He did Analyze This in '99. And parental guidance in 2012. He also provided the voice of Mike uh, Wazakowski in Monsters Inc., that franchise. And he voiced another character in Cars, another animated feature in 2006. So, Billy Crystal, long career. Um, and there you go. Uh, what are there? We got another little voice actor in. Animal Olympics? Who is it? We sure do. Now, um, you know, of course, uh, as you're watching this, each of the characters is an animal type. And uh, we have we have rabbits, we have turtles, we have dogs. We even have, um, like, uh, what do you call them? Um, not wild cats, but, uh, you know, hunting type animals. There's a cheetah. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and uh, one of the characters in this, I believe, was a turtle, and he was a, the host of some of the narration of the uh, this the sports events, the sportscaster. Uh, his character's name was Keen Hacksaw, and uh, this is Mr. Harry Shearer. Now, Mr. Shearer was born in Los Angeles, and to hear his voice... You cannot mistake him. He um, has uh, similar qualities to people like uh, Walter Cronkite, which he was probably trying to to uh, evoke in Animal mm -hmm. Olympics. But he began oh. acting on television as a child in the 50s. And by the mid-70s, Shearer became a regular in supporting roles on Saturday Night Live, of course. So this was, you know, something that probably arose from conversations around the water cooler, as we say. And uh, shortly thereafter became the voice of the factory boss, Mr. Schatz, in Laverne and Shirley. So whenever they were in the break room and uh, there was an announcement made, somebody got called into the boss's office, that was Harry Shearer. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, in 1989, he would be cast, and so he uh, he had the, the, the fortune 
of being cast in the voice of a very long-running show, uh, kind-hearted neighbor Ned Flanders in Fox's The Simpsons, which has been going on for a million years now. And uh, he has worked primarily in television, but Shearer has played supporting roles in more than two dozen films. And more recently, he appeared in the 2017 film with Owen Wilson and Glenn Close called Father Figures. To date, Shearer has 192 acting credits. This man knows how to pay the bills. I didn't know. I just want to mention the other thing that I think stands out about this cartoon, and that's the soundtrack. And uh, so A&M Records in the U.S. and Mercury Records in Europe combined and released an Animal Animal Olympics soundtrack album, which is, uh, is actually long out of print. It's very collectible. The music on the soundtrack was written and produced by Graham Gouldman, who performed the tracks himself along with other members of 10CC, which was a band that Goldman was a bassist for at the time. And, uh, you know, I have to say, uh, the music is, is, is a good part of the appeal of this whole Animal Olympics thing, don't you think? It was. You know, it, uh, it certainly brought that uh, sort of music video vibe that the 80s was uh, introducing at that time. Yeah. Because we had all sorts of montages throughout the, the, uh, the film there. And, you know, it helped pass the time because just like the Olympics itself you would have certain events that took time, like the the cross-country running. You know, you'd have landscapes, and sometimes you just have to, you know, um, set it to music. Well, that was the clever thing about this portrayal of the Olympics. And um, it sort of parodied the formatting of what the networks did with the Olympics. And they'd bring in, like... Uh, they'd show an you know one of the events, and then uh, just to, to parse time out between the next event, they'd have an interview or something, and then they maybe oh they'd have a prepackaged production of the life of one of the participants, like they'd go into that, and then finally uh, they'd come to the next live event. So whereas there was, it was a cycle of uh, just trying to keep something on the goddamn oops, I mean, on the air while uh, the Olympics were being covered. And it was all about just somehow keeping something up on the air. And I think this was kind of a great parody of, of that. Um, there was, there were, there were like background uh um, interviews or whatever, or information about a star that that appeared. So I think it parodied it very mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have some time. We can actually discuss some of the uh, the not really the trivia, but the quirkiness of this film because it's from 1980. And, you know, it didn't get to theaters. It didn't even go to where it was supposed to originally. It got shown on HBO. So, 
you know, back in the 80s, there was probably some parent who decided we're going to we're going to splurge and this winter we're going to buy HBO for a couple of months because the kids are trapped indoors and, you know, oh, hey, what's this thing, Animal Olympics? <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there there was uh, some cuteness in there, um, you know, and um, certainly if this were something, and I know there are some of you that aren't fans, hi, Tommy, um, of the Mouse House. But, uh, you know, this is one of those programs where if it were to air on something like Disney, there'd have to be some disclaimers because there is, um, not to say cancel culture, because we don't want to erase this, but just to shine a a light on it, there is a little bit of behavior that's inappropriate by today's standards. I mean, you have ogling, you have... um, you know, uh, yeah, there's there's lots of that, lots of that. <laughs> uh, especially over the female figure. Um, and you also have uh, a little bit of uh, xenophobia. You know, you, you, you're afraid of different cultures. And um, there's a there's a sweet little story involved with this film where the two cross country runners who are from different countries end up you know, basically falling for one another because they're spending so much time alone out there. And one's from France and one's from somewhere in Africa. And they spend a little bit of time showing you their backgrounds and their cultures. And, um, you know, so that that itself, of course, is uh, encouraging because the original spirit of the Olympics in more modern times is, um, you know, the, the, uh, the spirit of... Um, sportsmanship of uh, of uh, coming together to celebrate greatness and uh, yeah. you know some of the other things that have happened in the film <laughs> there there is a uh, shall I say a wealthy guy who sits behind a desk and he's smoking a stogie <laughs> who is he supposed to be oh goodness I mean um, oh uh, I'm trying to think of um who played it uh, originally? Um, oh, uh, what, what's the film with the the sled that's called Rosebud? Orson Welles. Yeah, so maybe um, sort of a, a, a you know an older curmudgeon type. So, oh. uh, but you know th- that's just um, shining a light on this being something from the eighties. You know, we we probably wouldn't have certain aspects of this and that's that's one of the charming things about it is that we could watch this and think okay we've changed thank goodness things are a little different now and um but it was it was quite fun to watch the fake commercials that they placed in there like the the alligator who was sitting down to breakfast and his, <laughs> his cereal bowl was full of sugar-coated, I think, newts. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of scenes that sort of projected what these athletes might promote, you know, when they got a contract with somebody. <laughs> and so they had a like a, a, a commercial of what their product might be. So there were several of those. Those those were clever. And, um, you know, some of the animation of this time inspires me to things that I'll talk about later. Um, But 
Uh, although he wasn't part of this, um, there's an animator in the 80s that was very popular, Don Bluth, who actually worked on the animated sequences that were featured in Olivia Newton-John's film Xanadu, uh, which I believe was one of the last films of Help Me, the the song and dance guy. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, anyways. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. It, it, uh, um, he was in Singing in the Rain. Somebody, somebody in the chat room will tell me. Anyways, uh, Don Bluth did the animation in uh, Xanadu, and it reminds me a lot of some of the scenes that are in Animal Olympics because they have these romantic uh, scenes of nature, you know, flowing water, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's actually like a, a glitter effect that's evoked in the scene. In fact, this was done also in um, the film we discussed last summer, um, Electric Dreams. It's just that sort of a glistening glitter, sheen on water, uh, you know, sunlight prism effects and that was basically part of the 80s was putting that into animation uh, because it inspired imaginations well that's also because the creator um, that's what he did for a living for many years was produced animated uh, titles where there were spikerels, sparkles and um, this appears all throughout um, Animal Olympics, and it's actually how he made his damn living for so many years. Tommy in the these... chat room uh, spoke up and said it was Gene Kelly that was in Xanadu. Hey, there you go, Gene Kelly. God damn it. We actually discussed uh, American in Paris last year, so I should remember that. <laughs> there you go, Gene Kelly. Oh, uh, so, um, but yeah, it's, it is a cute film. And uh, you could find it on YouTube. I don't think it was ever put out onto any proper home video. I don't know. But let's talk about the quality of the animation. <clears throat> um, so uh, this was a level far above what you may have saw, saw on uh, ABC or whatever. Whoever did Super Friends. Think of Super Friends. And there were these characters that stood and their eyes would blink and their mouth would move. And there were other things that happened. This was far beyond that, except it was far, it was far below what animation was capable of. So I'm not going to say this was a brilliantly animated movie because they didn't put the time and they didn't have the budget. But it was far above what you would have seen on TV at the time. So it was a much a it was a much fuller, much smoother animation you would have seen perhaps on uh, Super Friends or something like it. So it was decent. I mean, it was about yeah, you know this this would have been 1980. This was before Disney started doing um, some animated movies that caught attention. It was before um, uh, who did who did Toy Story? Pixar. Pixar, mm -hmm. right? Yep. It was before Pixar got up and going. Their animation was much more complex. So back here in 1980 with this production, 
favorite. It was it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't the worst. It was kind of blah in between the character designs. Well, they weren't horribly original in that <laughs> in that you may have mistaken some of the characters in there as characters you thought you would have seen in other cartoons. Uh, I think most heavily uh, that Panther, I mean, looked uh, that woman, uh, Jagger, who was a Panther, looked like uh, the Pink Panther on, uh, you know, Pink Panther. S, S, you know, you know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so you know what I mean? They, I don't think they spent a whole lot of time on the design of the characters. They didn't have the time, they didn't have the budget. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they came out with this little gem. By the way, we want to um, acknowledge that uh, uh, this was a, a listener request. <laughs> it sure was. This was requested as a sort of a a, a, a cult film. You know, it it has gained more uh, not recognition, but uh, of a following. In more recent years, of course, because of the digital age, now we can, you know, see more things like this. Um, so thank you. Uh, I think you said Mac in Florida was the person who requested mm-hmm. this. So thank you much, Mac. It was it was a fun little film to catch. And uh, I actually watched it a couple of times. And, you know, um, I, I think that probably it's something that both young and old can enjoy. I mean... You know, you don't have to buy a copy and put it on your shelf, but um, to me, it's more uh, it's more entertaining than um, some of the Chevy Chase movies and Will Ferrell movies. <laughs> so, Toppy, we are getting up to the top of the hour. We're making our way out here to the lobby, and um, you know, we have some other programs that you might enjoy if you liked Animal Olympics or. Maybe if you haven't caught Animal Olympics, if, if you're a fan of 80s animations. Yeah. So this is our snack tray. This is our related recommendations. Now, I'll go first. Um, right. You know, uh, I have a fondness for a lot of things that are 80s. It was the, uh, you know, um, tender years of my youth. And, youth? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm of the age that um, when I was a kid, I remember... Uh, for birthdays for quite a while, it was a thing that my folks would buy me a movie, my fa- you know, my favorite movie at the time, on VHS, and I would be given it as a birthday present. I remember, I think my first movie I was given for a birthday present was E.T., you know, the extraterrestrial oh, wow. by Steven Spielberg. Right. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, in the vein of animation... Uh, this is the film that uh, Tommy has actually mentioned in the chat room. It's a 1982 animated film directed by the legendary aforementioned John Bluth, The Secret of Nim, and this has the voices of Jum DeLuise. And perhaps maybe you didn't know, because they weren't really more famous until almost the 90s, Shannon Doherty, who was the sister on 90210, uh, in her youth, she was a voice in The Secret of Nim and young Will Wheaton, possibly before he did um, 
Oh, the movie we talked about last year. <laughs> now, uh, the storyline of Secret of Nim is to save her ill son, a field mouse must seek the aid of a colony of rats with whom she has a deeper link than she has ever suspected. And this also has the voice of um, Elizabeth Hartman, I want to say. Um, okay. who we lost at a young age. Uh, we She suffered depression, and uh, that was the end of her career. But, uh, you know, it's, it's quite a film to behold because it has beautiful animation. And uh, unlike many things at the time that were all bright and cheerful and pretty, um, this is a little bit dark in places, and right. um, I think you might enjoy it. I think so. Uh, Tommy Ash Friends reminds us in the chat room, the movie we uh, we couldn't quite think of there was Stand By Me. Okay, Stand By Me. Yep. Um, I want to recommend something kind of similar to Animal Olympics, which was something called Wacky Races, which uh, was quite a bit earlier than animal olympics but it was about these races and uh who would win which is kind of what animal olympics was all about so wacky races is an american animated television series produced by hannah barbera productions for saturday mornings oh those days folks when you could get a bowl of cereal and sit in front of the tv on saturday morning and watch those stupid cartoons (laughs) heaven anyways uh wacky races features 11 different cars racing against each other in various road rallies throughout North America. I don't know why it was just in North America, but whatever. Uh, and with all the drivers, they all hope to win the title of world's wackiest racer. The show was apparently inspired by a 1965 film called The Great Race. It featured characters such as Peter Perfect, Rufus Roughcut, Sergeant Blast, the ever-lovely Penelope Pitstop, <laughs> and finally, Dick Dastardly, who I just want to point out, was voiced by a, a renowned uh, a ventriloquist, comedian, voice actor, Paul Winchell. And I just want to further point out, because this is the trivia beyond all trivia, folks. Paul Winchell, besides being a voice actor, a very skilled ventriloquist and an actor, was, was also an inventor. And God dang it, Paul Winchell also invented uh, the... Uh, and patented the first mechanical artificial heart implanted, implantable in the chest cavity. Don't ask me how, but he did. And by God, there was actually, that thing actually got used. And uh, anyways, hmm. <laughs> uh, I had I 
had to mention Paul Winchell. You know, I, whose voice, if you heard his voice, you would know it immediately. Hmm. Anyways, he invented the goddamn artificial heart. You know, Toppy, it's interesting. Yeah. Somebody who may have lived west of the Mississippi. And I'm, ta- yes. I'm talking about uh, someone in our chat room, Maren, perhaps, if you're listening. Um, I don't, I think it's just simply a coincidence, but it's ironic because <laughs> out west there is, at least there used to be, a chain of donut shops called Winchell's. <laughs> Oh, really? Really? I wonder if that's what led him to create the mechanical heart. (laughs) Good Lord, wouldn't that be funny? But, uh, you know, to bring this back to Star Trek, I am sure that Captain Picard is glad that Paul Winchell invented that. (laughs) Good Lord. Okay, only only followers of... Star Trek to the next generation have a clue what you're talking about. All right. <laughs> All right, Choppy. So we have reached the end of our hour. Peek over the balcony for me and let me know who is in the chat room. Oh, we would like to thank so much. It really makes a difference, folks. Thank you for being here. Your hubby, Billy Star Sage, our friend, Marin Gertz. Our friend Tommy Hash Browns. We had been there, Cronehaven, for a while. She's probably still listening. And there's probably others listening that we just don't see here in the chat room. But thanks for joining us. It makes such a difference. We appreciate you very much. All right, Tuppy. So, uh, as we say, or we are uh, often fun to remind folks, the Marionette is a celebrated venue. Many things have happened here. We've had vaudeville, and uh, we've had burlesque, and a magician. Would you reach up there on the bag of coin, or on the shelf, and find me that bag of coins? Oh yeah, here you go. Here you go. All right, we're gonna find out what's coming up next. Okay, hand me that capsule, sir. There you go. All right, let's open the sucker up. <laughs> Next time on Matinee Minutia, which is Friday, March 18th, just the day after St. Patty's Day. All right, so this is a uh, 60s film, and it's a blind, uneducated Caucasian woman is befriended by a black man who becomes determined to help her escape her impoverished and abusive home life by introducing her to the outside world. This stars the recently late Mr. Sidney Poitier and Miss Shelley Winters, who's a very skinny lady in the water. Uh, This is a patch of blue next time on Matinee Minutia. I do believe he did this movie right after Lilies of the Field, which he won an Academy Award for. And Petra Blue sort of solidified his fixture in American cinema. Uh, Except that nobody knows much about Apache Blue, but that's what we're going to do next time on Matinee Minutia. All righty. So, Toppy, if you would, in the ways of the old days of radio, yeah. will you mm-hmm. say goodnight, Gracie? And yeah. Goodnight, Gracie.
Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net, click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.